Welcome to the John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of Worth Point LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Worth Point. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Hey everyone, John Chapman. Today we interviewed my friend Thomas DeShooter, who is the CEO and founder of Bloom Strategies, a financial strategy firm that's up in Vancouver, British Columbia. Today we talked a little bit about Thomas's background, first as a professional rock drummer and then into a personal finance career. We talked a lot about his belief in terms of the power of habits and his daily routine. We also talked about just his passion in helping to educate people by first knowing themselves and understanding their interactions with money and their beliefs and how that filters through into our success or failures with money throughout our career. So I know that you'll get a lot out of this episode. And without further ado, let's bring on my friend, Thomas DeShooter. Hey, Thomas DeShooter. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you? Uh, John, I'm fantastic. Thanks. It's a, it's a great day today. Yeah, well, I'm, pl- I'm pleased to have you here. So for our listeners, Thomas is a CEO and financial strategist. He runs his own financial firm called Bloom Strategies, and he's coming to us from the uh, Vancouver, British Columbia area today. So excited to have you here. Talk a little bit about your early career actually in drumming and in music and how you shifted into finance. And then also I want to dive into your five core beliefs about money. But before we do all of this, Thomas, tell us a little bit about your home growing up and what was money like? in your house? Ah, yeah. Thank you. Great question. You know, I, I had a real, I guess, for all intents and purposes, a traditional Canadian upbringing. I had great parents. I played ice hockey. They drove me to all my games and practices. Like they were completely cool. dialed in. I was the youngest of six kids. Um, six kids, big family. Yeah, big family. And, uh, you know, the thing about money that was interesting to me is my dad had a, a government job, but he was also entrepreneurial. Oh, interesting. And Those two seem, seem uh, like counterintuitive. How does that work out? He always wanted, I think he, you know, he's not around anymore for me to talk to him about this stuff, like where I am today, but he, he had always seemed like he wanted to have a side hustle. And so, okay. you know, I remember when I was a kid, I did Amway presentations with him. Like I was his Amway guy and I actually learned that, you know, I was in grade seven doing Amway presentations for my friend's parents and and wow. also, uh, in the 80s, he started a truck rental. And unfortunately, interest rates in the 80s went up to almost 20%. Oh, my goodness. Right. And so we lived through that where cash flow to pay, you know, he had about 80 vehicles that were either on lease or, you know, had loans behind them. And although they were rented out, uh, they were rented out to a lot of government organizations that only paid every 90 days. And so cash flow became a crisis. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, the business ended and my parents ended up in, in bankruptcy. Mm. And so for me at an, you know, at an age of around 14, mm. money really shifted to mm. a conversation of lack and we don't have the money, that's too expensive. And I think consequently, I adopted a lot of that in my own belief system that money was hard to get, mm. that it was only for rich people and, and you know, no, not to any fault to my parents, just that's the circumstances. And as a 14-year-old kid, I really didn't have 
the ability to understand it. And of course, back then, people didn't really talk about money. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like there, there wasn't a sit down at the table where, where they really explained what happened and what this would mean. It was sort of like one day I woke up and we were living in my brother's house with him. Okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, it just was one thing that's uh, first off, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about this and it might, I'm just um, imagining all of the potential scenarios there. And especially for me as a dad of three young kids, just what the stress might be like for your dad as a parent of six guys, uh, children and trying to do the government job, but also enjoy a side hustle. And I don't think about, you know, in the eighties, people thinking about things as a side hustle. So that must've meant that your dad really was t- totally entrepreneurial. But then, you know, we also hear these success stories. And that's the fun ones for us to attach on to. And very rarely we get to hear times when it, it may not have gone so well for whatever other reasons are. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine like that would have totally impacted you, right? So, you know, yeah. at what point were, were you able to start working through these things? Because as a young person at 14, how were you able to get perspective? Was there anyone that you were talking to? Or, you know, how did that affect mm-hmm. you as a, as a young man? Yeah, thank you. So a couple things is one is my my dad was very resilient. So he had his faith as well. And the success story is, I never was in a state of lack for a place to live or food on the table like that never happened. And so he found a way to make it through what was, you know, a, probably as you put, it's very stressful as well as like, how would I feel as a dad, as a parent, as a husband that that didn't work out like the, the I guess embarrassment could really take, could really take the fold. Right. But my dad somehow just drove through it and, and ended up being the great dad that I talk about today. I mean, he was, he somehow found a way through it. Yeah. For me, I ended up, (laughs) I ended up being a rock musician fighting the man, right? Like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting the man as a rock musician. How did you get into drumming? Yeah. in your music career. (laughs) So at a very, very early age, when we first moved, uh, we moved across Canada to the West coast and I moved in right next door to a guy in my grade three class who played drums. And I, I still remember the day he invited me to his house. We went into the basement and there was this beautiful Rogers fisheye drum kit blue. And I was just like, oh, yeah, your ears are ringing. It's like <laughs> time stop for a minute, right? <laughs> totally. And he finally let me play them about a month later. He gave me like 40 seconds on them and I was I was hooked like that was it. Cool. That was grade three. By grade seven, I never stopped. I had another friend that that moved to the same area that played drums. And so I would always play on his kit. And in grade seven, my parents bought me a drum they set. in. Cool. And, uh, and, and that's the rest is history. I mean, I made a couple of albums. I toured Canada several times and toured parts of, uh, parts of the United States and had some songs on TV shows and really did live out my dream. And I did it on like five bucks a day on the road, right? Yeah. So that that Sounds no so money adventurous. <laughs> no wow. money mindset was definitely engraved. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, that's so cool. Well, and then yeah, you know, I don't normally think about uh, you know rock band drummers transitioning into a career into like you know financial planning or corporate finance. So what was the evolution like, kind of inside you, you know, in your heart? Like, did you envision did, that your music career was always going to be a defined short period of time that you always would go into something more professional like how what did that look like throughout your no, drumming career 
John, I was going to tour the world as a superstar rock drummer. That was that was it. And then I became jaded and cynical one day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> over time, and uh, that's the that's the kiss of death as an artist. Really, is to become jaded and cynical, and to huh. think that, you know, you lose hope, right? And you stop believing in yourself, and and that's really what it takes as an artist is you have to believe in yourself mm. more than anybody else and if you're not in love with it anymore if it's just becomes a job it's how interesting it's game over and i'd say that for anything like that yeah, lesson, that's a great point that probably rings true for a lot of things no, that just, that lesson is ingrained in my life to this day and it's with my kids as well that if you know i tell them all the time if you're not in love with this if it's not like you can pour over this with all your heart and soul yeah find something else to do because it's yeah. It's not going to serve you in, in the long run. Mm, that's a good lesson. Uh, anyhow, eventually I read a book, The Wealthy Barber, and I was like, oh my gosh, money can work while you sleep? I had no idea. Right? Awesome. So yeah. That is that started- Chilton? Dave Chilton? Is that his yes. name? Yeah, yeah David that's Chilton. so yeah. cool. Yeah. So that started me on the path into finance and literally all of my passion for music transferred into the world of wow. money and I could not stop learning. But here's wow. the thing. As an advisor, and you know this, I'm on the retail side. I'm not on the analyst side. I'm not a CFA studying and trying to figure out what the full economic picture is. I work with people. And as a musician, my skill set in talking to people, in sharing my heart and soul is very much serves me today as an advisor because I'm I'm one of them. I've been through the trenches. I've been entrepreneurial. I'm entrepreneurial today. I've I've lived on $5 a day. I understand money. And so my best work is when I'm dealing with families and business owners because I understand their mindset and I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's so true. Uh, that's just fascinating. But I'm surprised to hear that. Do you really feel like it was, was it the wealthy barber that really was the main turning point? What, what other sort of things came into, you know, one day you're a touring drummer, you read the wealthy barber, and then the next day you quit and then you join some financial planning firm? What, tell me a little bit more about what that looked like. Uh, truth be told, I met the, the, the girl of my dreams. And, uh, I asked her to marry me on our second date. She said, no, (laughs) you know what you like, (laughs) but she said no. And so it took, it took a while. However, I also knew at that moment that I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have a family and I should try to feed them. Okay. And so music was not going, you know, at that point in my life, my dad had raised me with some simple principles. One of them was, if I don't think I'm going to succeed at it, I'm not going to. That's fair. And so I knew that my heart was no longer in the space of being a musician and it didn't look like the, you know, the rose colored glasses had come off. That was not going to be my, my outward profession anymore. And so the transition to money, I was so passionate and got so excited about it that Mm. it was, it really became easy for me to integrate my thinking and to learn and to dive into textbooks and study the financial side, you know, get my securities license, learn how to trade stocks and bonds, and then take off into that career. It was really, it was really a, a transition of about nine months yeah. from not being happy in music to reading The Wealthy Barber to making the decision that I was going to open an Edward Jones office in Vancouver. Oh and I did. Gosh. And that's yeah. just what I did. I just went at it full bore, like nothing's going to stop me. The same passion I had as a musician, which cool. was nothing's going to stop me, yes. had transitioned to the, the finance world. Nothing's going to stop me. And, Man, uh, and it's, it's still there today. 
Well, you, so you've had a fairly, I would call accomplished career then as a, you know, in the financial services world too. And for the past two decades, like you've, you've been an author, you've got a podcast, you've served probably hundreds of folks. And I think some of the things that really stand out specifically from your website, it seems like you've got really kind of five money principles that you've, you've shared with the public, uh, things like know what is so, uh, money mirrors you, uh, focus fuels finance, cash flow is king, and you are your most valuable asset. So I love some of these topics. They sound very intriguing. And I'm wondering if we maybe we can dive into a little bit because that might be helpful for some of our listeners. So I've got a few that are on my mind, but tell me a little bit about how did you start to create these five money principles and incorporate them into your practice? I, yeah, John, I think it really came from first of all, sitting down with so many people and hearing so many different experiences and stories around money. Mm. Um, if you're, if you have an advisory firm like I do, you have some clients that have what would, what some would consider to be a lot of money. And you have some clients that are, you know, kind of just making it through. And what you find is the difference in their perception of money is what is the one thing I've noticed. Okay and rings true in almost every situation is how do they actually perceive money? And then, you know, when I took that thinking into my own world and go back to my experience with, you know, my parents lose, you know, going bankrupt and that experience, Ooh. my own perception of money held me back in the world of money. Fascinating. And, and so although in some cases my experience with others was a catalyst, the real learning came from figuring out my own stuff cool. and okay. really diving in on what's stopping me from having all that I want in the world. Hmm. Why, what stopped me from succeeding as a musician? What was that thing that entered that had me stop? Because five years before then, nothing was going to stop me. And then all of a sudden I am stopped and it's, it's me that did the stopping. It wasn't anything external. Yeah. It came from within me. And so my most of my principles have come from looking within okay. and and really figuring out where do I get stopped? Like, like, how am I not being abundant in my life? How am I not allowing money to flow in and flow out of my personal economy? Got and it. that's how these principles began to develop. And then I could see it in yeah. other people, right? I could see it in conversations I would have with others. That's right. Well, there's, so then let's talk a little bit about these then. So one of which that I, I just I find interesting is uh, money mirrors you. Tell us a little bit about what you mean that money mirrors you. So on a, on a surface level, I look at it this way. Uh, I want my money to go into things in the world that I want to see more of. Mm. And I don't want my money going into things in the world that I want to see less of. Yeah. So on the surface, where I spend my money, what things I allow into my household, where I shop, the things that I support, all are my biggest, you know, I have this other saying, you know, you vote with your dollars. Yeah. And that is what I believe is the true, uh, the, the true influence we can have in the world is where we allow our money to flow. And point. so on, on the surface, money mirrors you is, is that. Where am I putting my dollars? What am I allowing myself to support in the world? Mm. On a deeper level, it's where am I within my own thinking around money? What do I tell myself? Do I have imprinted in me that money doesn't like me or that's too expensive or I can't afford that? Because the truth is, if you say you can't afford something, guess what? You can't afford it. 
Yeah. And, <laughs> How interesting. Right. So I'm not saying, you know, just throw everything to the wind, caution to the wind and go spend your money on whatever you want. It's more about where did that develop? Where did I learn that? And understanding that if I want true freedom in the world of money, then maybe there's some work I need to do on my own thinking and my own conversation around money that stops me from having the full flow of money. So there's, there's really two levels. There's the surface, like and then there's the deeper level of where am I within myself around money. Yeah, well, so one of the things I'm thinking about is that what you were alluding to, which is the conversations that you're having in yourself, in your mind, maybe things like, um, you know, I'm I'm in a place of scarcity, or my budget is tight, or I'm scared because I, I don't know how to yeah. to increase my income or increase my net worth. So I guess on the flip side, we we do still need to live within some finite metrics and some you know structure there, so that like in you know, we need to manage our cash flow well. So talk to us a little bit about maybe what the methodology is, what the steps are. Like first we need to think about, you know, where is our mindset, but then eventually we need to get to a place of structure. So when you're either talking, you know, about your own experience or with clients that you go through, how do you input maybe a sense of structure to rethink about their cash flow so that they can switch from scarcity to abundance? Right. Deep question, John. (laughs) <laughs> so, so, you know, it's really a process, right? It's, it's what you want to do is you want to, you know, so when I look at know what is so, this is the groundwork. This is like, this is what is, okay. you know, I have XYZ in savings. I have XYZ in assets. I have XYZ in debts. Okay. This is my cash flow. Then we want to look at, so I do cash flow planning with people. We want to start looking at where is your money going? You know, and I'll give, you know, this is my best example is in some cases I've come across people where they fill out, you know, their dream. So we have questions that ask them things like what, you know, what are your values? What is important to you? What is something you'd like to see accomplished in the next 18 months that your money would provide for you, right? Hmm. And so when you get those answers from people and then you look at where their money's going, right, you can start to see, well, you know, I see that you spent $300 last month at Starbucks, And that's great. And I'm not saying don't do that, but nowhere in your answers did it say, I want to support shareholders of Starbucks by making them wealthy. (laughs) Okay. Like, so you want to, you want to turn it on them where they can start to see like, wait a second, I didn't know where, like, cause in a digital world, nobody knows what they spent from one week to the next. Like you might think, Oh, I haven't been out for dinner for two weeks. But actually you went out for dinner last Thursday. You just don't remember. And so you go, you plan another dinner out with the family and then you get your credit card bill because it's all digital. And you're like, why is my credit card bill? It it never seems to go down. And it's it's because we're not conscious of what we're actually doing with our our money. So know what is so is really about establishing what's really going on with our money. What are we really doing in Mm. the world of money? And then from there, you can start to build on their dreams that they wrote down, like the stuff that they want to accomplish. I've been blown away by what some people have written down. Like they want to start trust funds for charities and organizations that they care deeply about. Like when you start to allow people to dig in, yeah. you start to see what's really important. And then when you can line up with what they're actually doing with where they, you know, with what they really want to see happen in the world, maybe the light goes on. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> I get it. 
That's so cool. I, I love that you talk about this. And I just think that in the world of personal finance, this conversation is hands down one of the most valuable. And it's hard to exactly show people what the direct correlation of an ROI is. You know, sometimes folks want to understand, well, you know, X plus Y is going to give me Z. But the introspective conversation of trying to understand values then goals, and then what your today action steps are is wildly important. And it makes me think of like the, the image that I have in my mind is sort of like a, a Venn diagram where you've got your yourself today and kind of what your goals are in the future. And it's funny, they're often two circles that don't even touch or overlap. But I think the bringing it to the surface on a more conscious level in the future, those two circles can become more and more overlapped, like what you want to accomplish and what you're actually doing. I think sometimes can be two really different circles, but then over time, maybe through these types of conversations, like you said, you're having with people, they're going to become closer and closer overlapped. And that might end up being, you know, maybe a more successful outcome, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And then if you can get them excited about owning things that are going to produce more cash flow mm. in their lives, then they can start to see what a possibility and maybe a possibility turns into a bit of reality. And then the building blocks begin to unfold. It's like, ah, if yeah. I do this, this happens and I can have, I can actually have more cash flow in which to work with. And if you can turn on that excitement around owning assets that produce cash for people, Yes. Now, now you've got them where they're, they're maybe going to see that, hey, I don't have to give up my job. I can actually continue to do my job. Some of the pressure starts to come off on the money world. And now actually at work, they can maybe do even more at work and be more present and actually increase their pay at work because they're doing a better job because they don't have this stress load or yeah. this thing, this concern behind them. Like, you know, I know that's a lot of ifs. However, that's what I feel unfolds in all of us is that when we see possibility, if we can really buy into it, then we can start living into something, right? Yeah. And when we live into something, it's like when you got a vacation planned, yeah. right? You're like, I can't wait. It's two weeks. It's one week. Ah! And then when you're on the vacation about halfway through, you're like, oh, I got to go home in a week. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, it's like you're not even enjoying the vacation anymore because you're worried about having to go home back to all the stuff you're doing. I've totally done that. That's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Well, you're, so you touched on something too about talking about somebody's job. Maybe they're in a nine to five situation, but one of your, again, going back to your five money principles, one of them is you are your most valuable asset. So uh, that's actually something that I completely agree in. And I've talked a little bit about on this show and I've got a few thoughts on it, but I'm curious to hear more about your take. When you say you are your most valuable asset, what are you thinking about? Uh, well, I, so I'll just lay it out there. I believe we are all creators. I believe that we have the opportunity to create our life. I am, you know, a believer in a, a spiritual world that I'm a spirit having a human experience. And so for me, your most valuable asset is what I do up here between the ears mm -hmm. and how much I know myself and okay. I, I tune into who I am. That then allows me to, to take on challenges and have growth opportunities. And growth opportunities are those challenges, those things that seem like they're really awful. However, when we find our way through them is when we can really grow as an individual. And in terms of your most valuable asset, I take that to the level of what do I read? Who do I hang out with? Yeah. What am I filling my mind with? And some nights, hey, I'm like everybody else. Some nights, all I want to do is put on Netflix and binge watch something absolutely pointless. Like, cool. 
I just want to shout out the world, right? Like I don't want to, I don't want to think. However, most of the time, what I am doing is, is reading, educating myself, moving myself forward into the, into the directions that I actually want my life to go. So I'm very conscious, conscious, excuse me, about the things that I want to see in my life. And so if I'm going to have them, the only one that's going to really do it is me. Yeah. nobody's going to come save me yeah, or, right. or fix me. It's all got to come from within. And so I, you know, I'm very, very mindful that I need to keep myself tuned in. You know, I eat fairly healthy. I'm not the super healthiest guy. I do some, you know, workouts. I have a morning practice that keeps me in tip top shape, I believe. And that is what I mean by you are your most valuable asset. You can achieve anything. I mean, people have come from really crazy places that achieved unbelievable things. And if they can do it, why can't I is always the question I ask myself. Like, wow. what's stopping me? What's Challenging stopping me question. doing that? Yeah. yeah, totally. I like that. And I really, really like that attitude. It's so much more, I, I feel like I'm a, like a, a, a constant optimist. And so, um, you know, I really kind of appreciate when I hear that. And that's just an encouraging thing. You, you shared in a prior conversation about your morning routine. And I just thought that that was really fascinating. Talk, tell the listeners about your, what, what do you do as soon as you wake up? from bed every day. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, the first thing I do is I have a little voice in my head that says, DeShooter, give me 40. It's a little more <laughs> aggressive than that. <laughs> cool. But it's, yeah. uh, I, I do 40 pushups upon getting out of bed in the morning. And it all came from, I read a book called Habits. Yeah. And I, I can't think of the author. He referred to keystone habits. And so uh, the example would be this. Uh, I want to get into shape. So New Year's resolution, I get a gym membership. I'm going to go to the gym for three hours, four days a week. And by the third week, it's all over, right? Because the, <laughs> exactly. the, the change is too drastic. Yes. It's unsustainable. It's, yes. You've gone from like nothing to what uh, uh, like a high, a high paid athlete would go into, right? So it's yes. not going to work out. And so in reading this book, he talked about keystone habits. And keystone habits are little shifts in degree, just a little tiny shift from what you were doing. Hmm. So I was sitting there one day and I thought, you know, it'd be really great if when I'm 85 that I could do 40 push-ups. Like if I could just like bang out 40 push-ups at 85, I think yeah. that would be pretty cool. <laughs> okay. And then I thought, well, how could I guarantee that I could do that? Well, one way is I just start now. Yeah. So why don't I just do 40 push-ups every day until I'm 85? And then I won't notice it. <laughs> so I, I did that, right? I, I, I just committed to doing that. Here's what happened though. Hmm. After about six weeks, I was looking in the mirror, you know, and I was like, hey, I'm starting to look. That's cool. Excellent. Starting, my upper body's starting to look like it used to when I was younger, right? And so yeah. it kind of spurred me on, like maybe what am I eating? Maybe I could run once a week. Like just, it just spurred me on to do a little bit more. And then about two weeks later, my wife noticed me. There you go. Oh, that's positive reinforcement. <laughs> She's like, hey, what's going on? You're looking pretty hot these days. And so, so now the lid is off, right? Now yes. it's like, oh my gosh, what can I do? I'm sticking to this 40 push-ups, and what else can I do? And I really started to take on being more mindful of how I eat and the kinds of foods that I'm going to put in my body and what I'm going to allow into the house in the world of foods. And yeah. can I exercise more frequently? Can I go to the gym once in a while? Like that's what opened up is that little shift. Yes. It takes me a minute and a half to do 40 push-ups. Yeah. That little shift created a whole different world that now I think I share with you, I'm like 1,100 and something days 
of doing 40 pushups. Yeah, that every you've day. kept track somehow, like what maybe on like yeah. a phone app or just a piece yeah. of paper or something. No, I have a little phone app called yeah. Habits, and that's yeah. one of my morning habits, is that. So I check it off every day that I do it, which is every day. Yeah. And and so now what I've noticed though is that over that three-year period, I'm not the same person I was three years ago. It didn't happen overnight though. It took that little change that created a shift that, you know, as you move out. Totally. Yeah. And I'm just, in a, oh, yeah, it's an exponential deal. That's right. So yeah. yeah, the book is The Power of Habit. And I can't pronounce his last name, Charles DeHigg. Um, yes, and, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, actually, you know, I haven't, I have not read that book, but I've read a book that's similar to that called Atomic Habit, which is written by James Clear. And that came out maybe like one or two years ago. And it's very, very similar type information. Um, I can't say exactly what the difference is between the two books, but I think a, a lot of positive things in there. So for the listeners, I'd, I encourage you to check out one or both if you haven't. One of my very most favorite quotes from James Clear in The Atomic Habit was something like, you don't rise to your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And that really stuck with me. And the examples that he gave, it like to think about hockey, is that at the beginning of every hockey season, um, everyone has a goal of winning the Stanley Cup. So goals are not decipherable. But what makes the difference between the winning team and the losing team? And it might be things like, making sure that you eat healthy, making sure that you stretch and take care of your body after games, making sure that you communicate often with your coach. Like those are system oriented things that then will tend to add up and lead to maybe the outcome that you want, which is the goal. So super powerful. I think that was, uh, yeah, I'm glad that yeah. you read that you, your morning routine is a good reminder of all of those systems. Yeah. And I think Atomic Habits, uh, he actually says in there, cause I've, I'm about halfway through Atomic Habits is okay. that he credits have the power of habit for yes. having him dig in deeper, like a deeper, more structured approach to, to building, you know, atomic habits, things that are really going to make a difference in your life. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, Thomas, we've chatted about a ton so far, but uh, before we wrap up and tell people how they might be able to get in contact with you or see some of your information, is there anything that we haven't touched on today? I guess maybe more so for, you know, for the folks that are in this building phase of their career, like many of my listeners are, you know, they're trying to grow their job. They're trying to grow their income or their net worth. What are some of the things that stand out to you that might be valuable for those people? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, to focus, like one of my sayings is focus fuels finance to actually focus in on your money to ask questions to, you know, hold whoever you're working with accountable and make sure that you're paying attention because nobody's going to care about your money more than you. It's they're yeah. just not, yeah. you know, and I used to have a saying when I started in this in this business that if if I'm if I'm reaching out to my clients, and they're not getting back to me, I'm going to lose interest pretty quick. Hmm. Right? Like it's, it's not my job to, to make you care about your money. It's, mm. it's my job to be held accountable to the promise of, of helping you become a great steward of your money. Great. However, if you're not going to get back to me in a timely manner when I'm reaching out and I'm probably going to lose interest, you're going to fall to the bottom. So focus is about making sure you are on top of what's going on with your money, you know, and just take, take a course on something like just read a little bit all the time about the world of money and it's suddenly not the scary thing. And, and I don't know about you, but I've had clients who said, I never open my statements because I don't understand them. Yeah. Let me know that and let's work on understanding your statements so you do understand them so that you're empowered mm -hmm. around money because money mm -hmm. is just a tool. That's yeah. all it is. It's yeah. not the scary thing in the sky that we need to be worried about. 
It's a tool and we can use it to our advantage and not be sort of a victim to it, if you will. Definitely. Very encouraging. I love that. I totally agree with everything that you said. So Thomas, where should people find out a little bit more about your information or your podcast? How can people find you? Uh, yeah, great. Um, so there's two spots. There's bloomstrategies.com. That's B-L-O-O-M strategies.com. And we have some free tools on there. Uh, you can get links to the podcast. You can find out a little bit about me. And then I also have a personal website, thomastoshooter.com, which talks a little bit more about my speaking engagements and the stuff in, in that area that I do. It's not so money focused, but if they're looking for money uh, tools and tricks, they can, they can go to Bloom Strategies and there's some, there's some stuff there for you. All right, right on. Well, Thomas, pleasure talking with you today. Thanks so much for stopping in. Yeah, John, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with me. Definitely. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.